we have been having a conversation here at Providence Church last week and for the next couple of weeks on mental health. And the reason we're doing that is because of how many of us have dealt with this in our own lives, are dealing with it, or have people like our children, our grandchildren, our parents, and our neighbors who are really in the midst of a struggle right now. And so the purpose of this is just to bring into light and ask God for power. And so I wanted to review just quickly last week uh, as we started this, why we would even be talking about this in church might seem a little odd. There's a few reasons. One is there is power when things are dark in darkness are brought into light. That is a spiritual principle. It's not something that I'm saying to make you feel good. It's a, it's a biblical spiritual uh, principle that when things that have been in darkness, so think about things that may have been in your mind or your heart or just in your home, when they're brought into the light, dark things lose their power. Uh, actually, I was reading this morning in my own devotional time before church, and I was uh, reading the book of Luke, and it was talking about Jesus sending out the disciples. And he told them that all, and so this is what's been given to the church, all power and authority have been given to you to cast demons out of darkness and into the darkness, right? Uh, it said that, that we have been given the power and authority in the church to cast demons out and to cure diseases, it gave me this renewed sense of power in coming to be a part of this gathering this morning, that we're not just here to share, you know, news that will lift us up and encourage us, but I hope we do that, but we're actually getting access to the power of God. There's power when things are in darkness are brought into light. The reason is we see in John chapter 12, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light. So Jesus is naming himself and claiming that he brings light into darkness so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness, which means you don't and I don't have to stay in darkness. It means that we'll probably most likely face darkness, be in seasons of darkness, might even feel covered in darkness sometimes. But guess what, guys? You don't have to stay. <laughs> you don't have to stay there. It reminds me of like when you have a bad dream when you're a kid and you call for your mom, you know, she comes in there and what does she do? Or my mom would just flip on the light, right? Flip on the light. And suddenly all those things that were in darkness, all those things that were in my head, all those fears that were in my heart are now illuminated because someone has brought light into the room and you feel better, right? Mom's like, look under the bed, right? It's just your same old junk, you know, that's under there. Everything is is okay. When the light comes on, everything is okay. And that's a spiritual principle that God is introducing to us in some of the darkness that we might be facing, that there's a light that can come and we will see that our, our troubles are really real, but everything is okay. The second reason that we're going to talk about it is struggles with mental health are real. Now, sometimes there's a stigma com connected to talking about depression or anxiety or burnout or addiction. We want to remove that stigma. It is lessening in our culture, but maybe not lessening as much as we would hope in the church. Because sometimes in the church, there's a sense that you should be okay. You should have your act together. I mean, you guys look pretty good this morning. You know, everything looks fine. But there is a sense sometimes that we couldn't talk about the struggles that we're really having. And maybe even that we should be spiritual enough not to have them. Maybe that we should just be able to pray some things away. And it's weird because we're going to talk about praying some things away, but not in the way of like, hey, get your act together and snap your fingers, but in a way of would you be willing to go close enough to God that you could begin to see the light in some of the things that you're facing. Third thing is God never wastes our pain. 
God never wastes anything that we're going through. Our suffering, it says, is producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the things that we're facing right now. So there's no season that you're in right now or no darkness that you're facing that is meaningless. In fact, it holds meaning, and this season that you're in is producing something that is to come. After church last Sunday, I went to uh, Firehouse Subs because it's awesome, <laughs> you know, and uh, I... Anyways, uh, they steam, they steam the sandwich, right? This is not Subway, it's fire. Anyways, okay. Uh, so after uh, church last week, I was in there and there was this young couple sitting there and they said, hey, Pastor Jacob, uh, we've got a question for you. And, and I walked over and they said, could you share with us a little bit more about what you said? God never wastes our pain. You, they may be in here right now, I don't know. Uh, and we talked for a little bit about the importance of understanding that there, the things that we are in, God is with us and God is using. So I want you to hold on to that. If you're in something right now, it may last for a long time. I don't know how long it'll last, but God is not going to waste this season in your life. When I turned 20 years old, I was a college student. I finished my second year in college. And for the first time, I rented a house with another group of guys that had been living in the dorm. And we rented this house. There were six other guys in this house, uh, which is way too many uh, for this, this ranch-style house that we uh, rented. And it, was, uh, it, had, it had shag carpeting, this house that we rented. Uh, this was the early 2000s, so the carpet was like 30 years old, you know. Anyways, uh, so the, the carpet was there, and I was there, and I was having all these changes in my life. I was starting to pay my own bills, make my own money, you know. Um, I, I was, oh, I had bought a ring for this girl that I loved. I, I bought this ring. It was in the top dresser drawer uh, of the house there with the shag carpeting. I bought it at Zales at Hickory Hollow Mall. Uh, so I did not go to Jared. Uh, Jared wasn't. Jared wasn't around at the time. But what I'm saying is I had a lot on me, a lot that I was bringing on myself, and I was beginning to feel the pressure of that. I didn't really realize it. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, 20 years old, and I thought I was having a heart attack. Literally, I was just like, I got a problem. I didn't know what was going on. My heart was beating out of my chest. I didn't feel like I could breathe. And I got up, and I drove myself to the hospital. I did not wake up six other guys that were in the house. I went by myself and I walked into the emergency room lobby. And as I was walking in, I saw a payphone that was on the wall. And I decided that I would call my mom and dad. And so I put the quarter in and I dialed my home phone number and I called mom and dad and it rang twice. And then I hung up the phone. My first steps into anxiety and I was already feeling shame embarrassment. What is going on with me? I thought I was losing my mind. And so instead of going further into the hospital, I instead went back to my car and I drove around my college town all night long. When I got back to the house with the shag carpeting, all six of those guys were searching for me. And my mom and dad were searching for me because they'd seen on their caller ID, the number to the hospital in their son's college town. I'm just being as honest as I can with you today. My mom came and got me and she took me to the doctor. And it was the first time that I'd ever heard, it wasn't talked about as much back then, it was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase panic attack or anxiety attack. And I began to learn something that day that I wanted to share with you today. I didn't know it at the time, I don't think, and it's this, it's okay to not be okay. 
that sometimes uh, you're not going to be okay. And I'm not saying that you're going to stay there, but there is an acknowledgement that has to happen for you to get healing to say, I am not okay. There are times that you're going to be sick. There are times that you're going to have heart trouble or stomach trouble, that just your body is, is, is upset. In the 80s, my mom, you know, if we had any kind of thing going wrong, uh, we could be like on desk, desk doorstep. Mom would say, hey, he's got an upset stomach. You know, that covered everything, you know. And so what I mean is like sometimes your body can be upset. Your mind can be upset. You can be not okay. And so some of us grew up where it was not okay to be not okay. You understand what I'm saying? Where you had to have a certain toughness, and I'm all for toughness. I am not for wallowing in negativity or staying in some lower place, but the plain facts of being a human in this world is there will be times you won't be okay. You just won't. But the whole good news of the gospel, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a word that means good news. It comes from a big Greek word that is uh, said like evangelion or euvangelion. It's a Greek word that means the good word that Jesus preached. And he was preaching to a people who are not okay, but he was beginning to share that he was bringing a kingdom that would take our, our not okayness and get us to a better place. It's okay to not be okay, but with Jesus, he's leading us to a place that is out of that. In the book of Romans, Paul uh, has a stirring speech, what's found in Romans chapter 7, if you want to look at it, that leads to one of the most powerful gospel good news verses in all of the Bible. But first, a couple that come before. Here's what he says. This is the message version. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? You hear what he's saying? Paul's saying, I'm not okay, right? He's saying, uh, he, uh, if you look at Romans chapter 7, some of y'all know this. Paul says, uh, there's some things I want to do, but I'm not doing the things I want to do. And then there's some things that I don't want to do, and I always end up doing the things that I don't want to do. So it's kind of this funny sentence. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And, and we can begin to relate. What Paul's saying is, I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything. Nothing's working. But he turns the page by saying, but Jesus Christ can do all things and does do all things. He says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. What does he mean by a life of contradictions? Well, it's where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind. And other things, there's things I want to do and I don't do them. But I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. There's a big difference, what I want to explore with you, between just sort of saying, I'm going to resign myself to a lifetime of despair, I'm not okay, and claiming that God has a good thing, a promise for your life that he's leading you towards, okay? There's a big difference between just sort of saying, oh man, I'm not okay, and saying, I'm not okay, but thank God that Jesus Christ has the power to do something different with the situation that I'm in right 
now. Paul begins to give us some spiritual perspective. We've talked about, and I want you to know, acknowledge the physical uh, parts of depression, anxiety, and, and mental health struggles, the, the mental parts, all that's real. And, and the things that we need to do, like counseling or our doctor's, uh, our doctor's counsel, nutrition, exercise, all that. But what I want to point to, something often neglected is the spiritual realm of what might be going on. That there's really, really darkness in the world. There really is evil. And there are some lies that can be told to us in the darkness that we don't have to listen to anymore when Jesus' light shines on us. So let me read the scripture to you again. Those two verses, I just want you to hear it again. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I want to raise up a few words for us that you can hold on to this week as you think about kind of maybe what you're going through or somebody close to you is going through. And the first word is compassion. This Romans chapter 7 is pointing to us uh, to the compassion of God that is present to us when we're in a big mess. Chris Hodges, the pastor of the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, has a great book called Out of the Cave. It's about his struggle with depression and his hope found in it. And he says, when we are in the throes of depression or know people who are struggling with depression, anxiety, or mental illness, we need to treat ourselves and others the way Jesus treats us with compassion. So how do, we, how do we look at this? How do we treat ourselves? Well, God is treating us with compassion. So let's treat ourselves with compassion. Let's treat our loved ones with compassion. This recognition where we say, I'm hurting, I'm broken, uh, gets the gospel coming our way, which says you can be healed, you can be forgiven, you can be restored. But what we often do, instead of focusing on compassion, there's another word that sort of rises up, and that word is condemnation. Okay? Condemnation is punishment. Condemnation means you have been given a sentence to suffer and maybe even suffer even more. And what I've realized in mental health struggles is sometimes the worst condemnation we receive is from ourselves. We hang up the payphone and think, everyone's going to think I'm crazy. I'm not going to talk to anybody about this. I'm going to drive around all night. And we begin to pour shame, embarrassment, and condemnation upon our own heads. Well, uh, with Jesus, there is something else that is offered to us, and that's kind of the big thrust of Paul's letter in Romans chapter 7 that turns into Romans chapter 8. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Let me read that again, maybe a little bit slower, okay? Therefore, Therefore what? Well, uh, things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. But Jesus has saved me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, let me see another way of saying this. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But we're like, there's got to be a little bit, right? Well, here's what, here's what God tells us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. But you're like, man, I, I, no, there's no, there's none of it in Jesus. There's, a, there's absolutely no punishment in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the gospel. That, my friends, is very, very good news. 
I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. <laughs> like, we're like, so what's really, what's really the level of shame that God wants to put on us? None. How much embarrassment do I have to carry because I come from a family of a long line of people that have mental health struggles? No condemnation. Well, how bad do I need to beat myself up this, uh, this afternoon because I acknowledge to you guys that I've got some struggles and things. There's no condemnation. There's no sentence for suffering in Christ Jesus. So let me introduce a new word to you. This is a little bit different. It's called commendation, okay? To commend is to entrust something to someone else. I commend this to you. I give this to you. You've heard that word, right? I commend this to you. That's what's actually happening in Romans chapter 8. Not condemnation, but commendation. There's another definition for commendation, and that is to say that something is worthy or good. So if I said, I want to commend you for your good work on this project, or I want to commend you for your paper or whatever, I'm saying, that is a good job. That is a worthy thing. So that's what commendation looks like. So God is not working condemnation in any way for those who are in Jesus. There's none. Did I say that? <laughs> uh, but he is commending us through the work of Christ on the cross He's commending us to a safe and better place, and he's actually calling us, mind but to blow, worthy. <laughs> so I, I want us to hold on to those words, maybe just for this week. As you're feeling something, you know, maybe mental health struggles, uh, ask yourself, am I showing myself the compassion of God, or am I going into condemnation mode? And if you want to be really intense, you can say, I want to allow myself to experience the commendation that happens in Jesus, which is I am being commended into the safety and security and protection and confidence that comes with those who follow a risen Lord. So what we see in Romans chapter 7 about God, if we're really going to claim it, has huge implications for mental health struggles, huge implications. I mean, obviously what it's talking about there is our struggle with sin and God's restoration of all of humanity, but it has implications for our real lives when we're not feeling okay. A few things I want to point out. Three, okay? The first is this. There is love without limits. That's what, uh, that's, what we were, that's what we were cheering for just a moment ago. It's like there is actually love without limits. <laughs> limits. It blows me away. It really does. To think that God looks at me and says, there's, there's no limitation on my love for you, on my, my, my true love for you. you. You can think about it as a parent, right? I think about with, I have three daughters and I, I will say to them, this is just something I would think of. I will say to them, there is nothing that you can do or go through that will ever affect my love for you. Amen, parents? There, there's nothing that you can do. You know, like, this is a tough world, man, and the things our young people are facing. My daughters are preacher's kids, right? That's a whole nother level, okay? And I want them to know that there's no phone call that I can receive, and there is nothing that you can do, and there will never be anything that you can go through that will ever put a limitation on my love for you. 
And the only reason that some dude like me could have any idea what that's like or be able to say that is because God has poured that lavish love on me through Jesus Christ. He's rescued me from some kid that was going to the emergency room when he was in college and said, I'm giving you confidence. I'm giving you protection. I'm saying that you are worthy. I am realizing that you have fears and I am with you in them, which means that my identity cannot be changed based on how I feel or even how sick I might get. God loves me no matter what. It's a love without limits. Now, what implications does that have? It has big implications as we seek to love people who are going through tough times. You can know, I can, act, I can actually, sometimes we get caught up like, can I actually do this? Yes, mom and dad. Yes, grandpa. Yes, friend. You can love that person without any limits. You can pour out the lavish love of God on them. You can just pour it out. No limits. Okay? The second thing is there is acknowledgement without embarrassment. Okay? Paul is so free in chapter 7 of, of Romans. He's just kind of letting it all loose because he's not embarrassed. He's acknowledging who he really is to God. And so he's just saying, I'm at the end of my ropes. I've tried everything. Nothing is helping. I mean, he's just like, I'm a big fat mess. And he's just acknowledging it without embarrassment. Why? Because he knows stuff that comes into the light brings power. Paul's saying, I'm not going to stuff that in my heart anymore. I'm going to bring it out into the open. And I just want you to know that you can do that here at Providence Church. We're trying to take the lid off of this a little bit. You can walk in here into the lobby and your gate, you can just be saying, hello, everyone. I am not okay. And we'll say, I'm not okay either, right? Come on in. And we're not going to stay there. You see, I'm, I'm being silly. We're not going to like wallow in that. But if we can't acknowledge it like it happens, then we don't get access to the power of the gospel. That's why Paul is being so honest. He could have been, I'm super pastor guy. And he did brag a lot in the scriptures. He'd be like, I started a bunch of churches. I've been beat up for my faith. He said all this stuff, but he wanted to make sure in his great like uh, manifesto about the good news of Jesus, he wanted to be very clear. I don't even, I'm not even able to do the things I want to do. He's like, I'm a big mess. He's like, it's worse than that. There's things I don't want to do. That's what I end up doing. Paul is saying as the one who should be the leader, the shining star up on the pedestal, no, I'm lowering myself down so you will begin to be able to see the power of what I'm saying that Jesus can do. So he acknowledges it without embarrassment. And then the third thing is compassionate care without compromise. Hang with me, I'm almost finished, okay? This means that you can care, for, you can receive the compassionate care of God, but there does not have to be a compromise on the goodness and the faithfulness and the righteousness that God wants to impart to you. So we're not just saying, I'm not okay. There's compassionate care, but we're not compromising that God has made us with a purpose to give us success and that ultimately he's gonna bring us full healing. What does this mean relationally, like for our kids or our parents or whatever? It means we can do love without limits, no embarrassment, compassionate care, but we do not have to compromise that we have a great hope for the full restoration of that person that we love. You see what I'm saying? So we're loving them, but we're loving them with a truth. We're loving them holding on to a principle. I'm not saying like that we're holding them up to some standard. I'm saying that we're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to love you, kid. I'm going to love you. There's no limit. But I also, the whole time, I'm going to be holding 
up and holding out for the ideal that your heavenly father has for you, which is not for you to live in darkness, which is not for you to be wrecked with addiction, which is not for you to be on on the edge of burnout. I know you're there. I get it. I've been there, but I'm going to be one of those that holds it for you. Sometimes you're going to need people that hold that for you as you go through it. Several years back, it's been, it's been a, a bunch of years. Uh, we were building the church and I was just like stressed out, man. Um, I, I was going through, uh, you know, some of my anxiety stuff was, was clicking off the charts and we were having some family stress. And so Rachel and I asked uh, three couples uh, to come to our house every week and pray for us. We, we, got, we got the kids, some, we all had kids. We got the kids somewhere and we came, I mean, it was a big ask and we felt sort of embarrassed to be like, we actually need some help, right? And so they would come week after week and pray for us. And one of the things that, uh, that we would do is uh, sometimes is we would pray throughout our house. Uh, two of the couples are right here in the room today. They, it's just amazing. And uh, one day we were praying in one of my daughter's bedrooms. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Ridings here began to pray Psalm 91 over my whole flipping house, man. Just like praying it. And, and Psalm 91 is about the protection that God can give us and the confidence that comes when we know that we are sheltered under his wings. And so we're just praying this. And I remember that, Jim, that something shifted in sort of my, uh, the spiritual uh, protection for my family. To, to say this, I wanted to give a testimony today. I don't want to just be the guy that's like, almost. I thought I was having a heart attack, really had a panic attack and tell you that story over and over. I get tired of telling that story. You know what I mean? I want to testify to something today, to the power that God has given me. So here's the change. My family still at times is not okay. All right. Sometimes we're like, we're not doing okay. However, very rarely does our family feel like we lack care and confidence in Christ. And so spiritually, we claim and know, even if things are going really bad, we know we are protected and we can be confident. That's what I'm hoping for us in the midst of this, is that we will kind of carry this together, this truth, that there's good things coming. And maybe all we can do right now is just say, we're protected by the Lord. Thank you. And we are confident because of who Jesus is. So I want to invite you. We're going to pray. Um, if there's somebody you need to hold in your heart who's struggling with depression, anxiety, just bring them to mind. Or uh, I've been holding my hands out, holding some of these people in my hands spiritually, and we're going to lift them up to Jesus. Oh God, we believe that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has set us free. And so we hold before you now our sons and our daughters, our mothers and our fathers, our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our cousins, our nephews, our nieces. We speak the name of Jesus over them. And we pray that we could leave here today knowing that we have a protection, that there's a promise you're leading us towards, and that gives us confidence to be strong and courageous people, even in the midst of darkness. Pray today, spiritually, God, demons would go running from this place. Like, ooh, this is not the place to hang out. I do not wanna mess with these folks because they are just bringing into the light that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. As we come to communion, God, let it be a, a real meeting place for us this morning 
that we can connect with you, the living God. In bread and juice, let it be for us the body and blood of Christ. His name we pray, amen.